Welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who have been successful because they found what they were passionate about, created something special, and most of all, they gave themselves permission to go and do it. The genesis of this podcast is the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place advisors come to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. We welcome Carlos Legaspi to the podcast today. Carlos is the president and CEO of Insight Securities. Insight Securities is a full-spectrum international brokerage and money management firm that has been providing investment services to high net worth individuals, retirement, corporate, and trust accounts since 1970. It's a wonderful success story, which is a podcast in and of itself, but we're going down a different road today. You see Carlos, who's the owner of the aforementioned rising broker-dealer, uncovered the inner workings of a nine-figure Ponzi scheme. He thought he was doing the right thing by sounding the alarm. Instead, the fraud's perpetrators shifted the blame onto him, and he faced $40 million in legal claims for a wrongdoing he did not commit. He tells this story in a book he authored called Going for Broke, How One of Latin America's Largest Financial Frauds Became a Blessing in Disguise. We're going to share a little bit about that book today. Carlos, welcome. Thank you, Doug. Thank you for having me. The story I read is incredible, and it comes with a level of fortitude on your part that is remarkable, and I'm sure many sleepless nights. But before we get there, can we set the table a little bit about growing up in rural Mexico? What was that like and some of the relationships you had with your mother and grandfather? I uh, was blessed with a um, fairly unique uh, upbringing. I was uh, born in El Paso, Texas, but grew up in Juarez, Mexico, right across the border. And that uh, border life, which is uh, a weird blending of American and Mexican culture, it's, it creates a, a very unique environment um, to grow up. And in addition, my mom was a single mom, so I was raised by her and I maternal grandparents um, made me in large part who I am today. My business is based on the ability of conducting business both in Latin America and the States being that bridge, understanding both cultures. And and I owe that to growing up and uh, right on the border. From an early age, you believed you can do anything. How did you get to that mind space? Um, I have to, I owe it to my mom, actually. You know, my mom was uh, young when she had me, and I, I give her a lot of credit in the 1960s in Mexico, still a fairly uh, conservative society. She, she um, didn't, uh, didn't instill any shame of being a single mom to me, you know, said, I'm happy you're my son, and and um, and having uh, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. Didn't have any schooling. He at third grade 
elementary school and he had a successful business and that um, uh, insatiable curiosity that I think I was born with together with a family that, hey, give it a try. And worst thing is that could happen is come back and you learn something um, without a should. The, the shoulds are so limiting uh, because they take us into failure and into shame as opposed to, hey, try it and see what happens. And one thing led to another, led to another, and it just became a, a, a cycle, a virtuous cycle of, of um, trying something, succeeding, trying to find something more bold, succeeding, more bold, succeeding. And that spiral eventually took me to, brought me to the States, to New York and buying a broker dealer. Yeah. Um, you had a sequence of events in terms of your studies and your jobs, and they kind of seemed lucky, but, but we make our own luck, don't we? Yeah, it's, uh, my grandfather used to say whatever, it's a little bit more colloquial in Spanish, but like, you know, uh, luck does not follow fools. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, life presents us opportunities, but it's up to us to grab them. And so I do want to credit my younger self of, of something landing on, on his lap and, and see how far he could run, run with the ball. And, and, and that led to another ball and so on and so forth. So, so it's, I, I believe that we co-create our own reality. The universe or the environment gives us a menu, but it's up to us to select that menu and then do something with it. Rodrigo Escobar was an important person in the beginning. He saw something in you and gave you a shot. We, we, need, we all need those people. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm a big believer in mentorship and, and, and passing it down. And so right now I, I, I have mentees and I, I really enjoy it and actually learn from, from, from some of young men and women that I mentor because somebody took the time to do that to me. Uh, when I was young and, and I, those opportunities were the foundation for what I have right now. And I, I am, I believe that if I were to be selfish and keep those learnings to myself, um, maybe those blessings stop coming. So it's about getting it and passing it down to others. One of those shots or stops was on wall street, which you mentioned, you came over to the States. There were some great learnings there, but you almost also discovered some typical barriers. Yes. Um, well, it's Wall Street is it's still uh, very much a good old boy club. Relationships get formed uh, um, through social links. And being an outsider is difficult to break in, especially if I'm not from this country. And especially in the late 80s, 89, early 90s still a fair amount of racism um, in, in the industry you know prejudice about you know a Mexican immigrant you know working in in Wall Street uh, so I had to uh, overcome that why does this business seem to come natural to you you kind of describe it like chess mm -hmm. well it's a, it's chess combined with poker <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I like both. I'm, uh, I've always liked adrenaline. You know, I, I like extreme sports. I used to do 
downhill mountain biking. I play rugby, the excitement of it. And also it's highly strategic. So it's all about choices. Should, do I choose to invest? Do I choose to sell? Um, you know, what line of business within Wall Street do I embark in? Do I go to research? Do I go investment banking? Do I go trading? And and so when I got to New York when I was 22, I've always liked math. I always like strategic thinking, and I like the the adrenaline rush. It's a perfect combination. So after many years of working for others, you you had to have your own firm. Why was that important to you? And how hard was that to make it happen? Oh, took me a lifetime. It was an early on dream of mine. And I, th- I, I kind of see it as something that I was running towards and something I was running away. The, it's, it, I always wanted to kind of be the, the king of my own kingdom. You know, make my own rules, develop my own vision, um, realize the dream that I had. At the same time, I realized as being that outsider that I described that working the politics uh, within a large firm, I was at a disadvantage, had a handicap. So, um, so with that, I think probably the best way to proceed is through uh, entrepreneurship and set up my own firm so that, um, you know, it's, uh, I may not be the right color, but I'm the boss anyway. Somebody else got to deal with it. So things were good. You were growing significantly. How was that growth achieved? And what makes Insight Security special? Um, well, the I think the secret sauce that we have is the culture that I that I myself and my management team have developed. It's it's my dream was that we could have a profitable financial firm that could create abundance for everyone. That it was not a zero sum game. I didn't have to take from you to make something. It was um, a collaborative culture that that was infectious. And and so brokers wanted to come and join us. Um, Employees wanted to work for us. And we had very little turnover with employees to come in and they were happy. And, and we started gaining market share from uh, competitors that had a more traditional um, mindset, a more competitive cutthroat environment. And, and we did well in the growth years. But I think during when we got into that crisis related to that Ponzi scheme, I think that's what kept us afloat because under normal circumstances, everybody probably would have bolted and the firm would have failed. But that that um, that bond between staff, reps, employees, we uh, we faced the storm together and uh, and together we survived. And uh, so I'm really proud of of that and, and and I'm so happy when with my managers or uh, my employees um, uh, grow and develop and 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 and, uh, and achieve their own dreams. So we're going to get to the Ponzi scheme, but before that, talk a little bit about the Latin American markets 
and the opportunities in that region that you see and maybe others don't see so much as? Well, it's, um, uh, for its for all its wonders, the U.S. is such a wonderful country, and um, it's very inward-looking country. Um, many uh, U.S. persons don't even have a passport, never been outside of the U.S. So through media and through other ways, uh, uh, there are uh, beliefs of what life is like outside the U.S. And for better or for worse, uh, there is a perception that Latin America is the land of drug dealers and, 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 and caravans and bad people. And, and, and it's nothing could be further from the truth. It's a very wealthy region of the world. It's just emerging. It's, you know, it's, it's a product of its history um, in which it's still trying to figure out how to have institutions that work and, and, and things like that. So um, because of that traditional instability that uh, both political or economic um, uh, families that accumulate wealth want to have some of their wealth outside their home countries. And the, the most attractive market is the US is the, uh, perceived the safest, most liquid, the rule of law. There are a lot of reasons why a Latin American investor wants to have assets invested here. At the same time, many firms are afraid of serving that type of clients, either because they believe that you know they're going to facilitate money laundering and 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 therefore they just completely avoid um, that market. So, for somebody that knows his or her way around. Um, the Latin American market is a wonderful niche. So it's a niche of willing clients that could open sizable accounts and that there's not a lot of competition for those because of those, those beliefs. So there's a niche industry. We do have competitors, of course, but um, I'm not going head to head with other independent firms like, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to names, but like the largest independent firm is LPL. It's a fantastic firm. But they only do domestic clients. So if you're a foreign client or you're a broker or advisor that works with foreign clients, that firm is not an option. Insight is. So then a firm came into your life that changed everything, Biscayne Capital. Yeah. What was the opportunity when it first came to you? Well, we, we have several lines of business. We have a traditional brokerage business, but we also have an institutional brokerage business, and we provide custody and execution services to investment advisory firms that serve international clients. That's our niche. So at that time, I'm talking 2016, um, the Skin Capital platform was a formidable firm uh, with operations in Ecuador and Uruguay and Brazil and Bahamas. And um, they custodied their uh, clients that wanted to have accounts in the United States at, um, at uh, Raymond James, a firm called Raymond James. And, and Raymond James, for whatever reason, made the decision to exit the Latin American market. Therefore, they needed a, a substitute custodian. And um, 
and several firms we were bidding for that business and for better or for worse we won it or lost it which we want to call it in hindsight but yeah the business came to us were there any red flags when you were looking through it there was obviously due diligence being done it's um it was probably the most sophisticated ruse that i had encountered in 30 years because they um they did a simulated sale of the firm to an apparently legitimate buyer so we never dealt in reality, we call it Biscayne Capital, but we didn't never dealt with Biscayne Capital. We dealt with a firm owned by somebody else that had allegedly purchased the Biscayne Capital business. And once everything collapsed, we discovered that it was a sham sale. It was a straw buyer that the original owners were still behind it, they're pulling the strings. And they were um, doing it to... Um, uh, go around in a, a SEC sanction that was in the in the in the works in the pipeline that, that it was not public yet. So in in order to um, comply with that order, they did the sale ahead of time, and we fell for it. So how was the shame, the blame shifted to you? Why were they making you responsible for it? Well, there's uh, broker dealers were uh, obligated um, by a law called the Maloney Act to be members of a self-regulatory organization, which right now the only broker dealer self-regulatory organization is FINRA. So we're obligated to be members of FINRA and FINRA obligates its members to have arbitration agreements with their clients. Which you know, it's it's an efficient way of uh, of settling disputes between brokers and their clients. It's nothing wrong with it. However, arbitration has uh, a lot of limitations and a lot of flaws. And one of them is that it only binds the client and the broker dealer. So if there's an investment advisor involved that is not a FINRA member and does not have a FINRA arbitration agreement they're outside the jurisdiction of that venue. So that uh, allowed the advisors that defrauded the investors to evade their responsibility. They go and tell the clients, yes, I screwed you. Oops. But you know what? I'm sure Carlos has some good insurance. Why don't you, um, uh, I'll help you um, uh, file arbitrations against them. We'll find some friends of mine that are attorneys in Miami or in other cities. And, and, and I'm sure you could probably squeeze out a settlement. Just don't come after me. And some of those investors agreed. So settling, and, settling $40 million in legal claims and a reputation ruined wasn't even a second thought to you. It was on. No, I couldn't, you know, first of all, I wish I had 40 million bucks. But I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that's the journey that I tell in the book. Because there were a total of eight arbitrations that added up to $40 million. But each one of them individually, uh, if I lost, uh, it would um, ruin me. Or even if I won, the cost of defending me would ruin me. So um, because FINRA very rarely grants dismissals, 
it has to be heard, even if it's frivolous. So that costs money, and that's the cottage industry of claimants, attorneys, and FINRA arbitrations that say, hey, you know, I'm going to fabricate this huge allegation, and I'm going to accuse you of fraud and this and that and all those things, and it's going to cost you this amount of money to defend yourself. So how about maybe you give me a check for that amount, and I'll go away. It will shake down. Yeah. And, and I didn't play that game because I didn't have an option, a choice. Right. So, there were several people that helped you through this lawyers, friends, your sister, and eventually mm-hmm. the people at Axos. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of help was, um, I received a lot of help that came sometimes out of the blue that I um, wasn't expecting it or right when I, had no uh, no more options. Something would you know fall from the sky, an appropriate call, um, it's like that. And, and so I, I go into you know trying to understand the why those things happen. My own my belief, and it's just my belief, is that if I uh, am willing to give it my all, not limit myself, just kind of you know put you know everything onto um, what I need to do uh, if it's something that's meant to happen help comes and so I uh, I, I said if, if if I if it's my time to go down and, and close the shop and it's uh, I uh, I accept it but it's not going to be for lack of trying and um, and, and thinking that effort is where, where the, the grace uh, appeared. So, Carlos, where does everything stand today? What have been the ramifications of this journey to you and insight? Oof, so many. You know, that's why I call it a blessing in disguise. Because people say, like, you got sued for $40 million. You almost filed for bankruptcy. You lost your clearing contract. All those things. What's the blessing? And there are many blessings. One is that uh, I'm still in business. And uh, and (laughs) my competitors better watch out because I'm back uh, and just that competition. Just, I love it. Um, I think it makes me uh, a better, uh, better entrepreneur. Probably less arrogant, maybe a little bit more cautious. Um, I've learned to um, tap on the wisdom of others, both on my staff and outside so that, when I'm about to embark in a line of business, I could bounce it off with somebody that may see something that I didn't see. You know, if I come across similar situation, maybe somebody would have asked a question that I had not occurred to me to ask that would have avoided this. Um, also, I think just made us tighter. It's kind of like when, you know, many troops become really tight with each other when they go to combat. And I feel that that happened with, the members of the firm, you know, we're just like family. We just went to hell and back and, and we're still here. And, and that will never go away. It's wonderful. The book is called Going for Broke. One of Latin America's largest financial frauds became a blessing in disguise. It's a, it's a great read. And uh, Carlos, we thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Doug. To learn more about Insight Securities, please visit insightamericas.net. To learn more about Axos Clearing, please visit axosclearing.com. 
please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikkinen.